Have you ever wanted to be the first to know if aliens really exist? Well, with Nebula, you can be! Nebula is the streaming service that's home to its Probably Not Aliens, as well as our YouTube channels. And the best part? All of our content goes up early on Nebula. So when we break first contact with E.T., you'll be the first to find out. That's right, you'll be able to listen to the next episode of this show before anyone else. Plus, we post bonus content that you won't find any other place. And the best part? By signing up for Nebula at nebula.tv slash probablynotaliens, you're directly supporting the show and both of us. So don't wait any longer. Join Nebula today and be the first to know if this time it really is aliens. The best way to start, I think, is to point out that this episode has a surprise. A it's little, got a surprise. A little role reversal kind of near the end that I have prepared, especially for you, where you are going <gasps> to teach me something. Oh, that's exciting. I've not prepared a lesson plan. I've prepared a little bit of one, but I feel like I just need to get you started and you'll be fine. Okay. All right. All right. Well, what, what, what are we talking about today? Well, uh, first of all, for all the people in the podcast, this is It's Probably Not Aliens, a podcast where we respond to this is the tightest opening that, ever i was gonna say this is the best we've ever done well done this is the podcast where we talk about pseudo archaeology and pseudo history primarily going through right now ancient aliens the hot history channel tv show uh fiction series basically <laughs> trying to make the argument that aliens came to earth with extremely flimsy evidence using a bunch of very strange i hesitate to say authors from the 1970s and <laughs> 60s and such i am trying Tristan Johnson, and I have let History Channel ruin my life, and it has turned me into a gritty, edgy hero on a like an anti-hero yeah. quest to take down History Channel. <laughs> Tristan turned on the History Channel one day and said, ruin me, ruin me, History Daddy, and it, it worked. I'm like the Punisher, but I'm trying to defeat the History Channel. I'm trying to decide if what I just said was the most uncomfortable thing I've ever said. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, just take it out of context. I'm going to make a... Uh-huh. Uh, just, you know, you need to edit it a little bit and I'm sure you get some very fun. I think it's great. My name is Scott Nicewander. I know nothing. I come to this totally unprepared and my job is to be much like you listeners asking questions and taking in all this information as Tristan teaches me all about the world uh, and and tries to undo some of the learnings that I've gathered from the History Channel. Yep. So today is one that's actually a little special to my heart uh, because we're talking about a certain class of ancient alien that is probably one of the most popular ones, especially maybe about 10 years ago, nine years ago, I guess, uh, mm -hmm. specifically. And we'll get into that in a second. But this one is probably if you knew of any like major UFO based conspiracy theory, this one is one of the ones you might know if you have 
gone a little bit into the rabbit hole. We are going to talk about the claim that a group of Mesopotamian gods called the Anunnaki were actually ooh. alien overlords. Oh, I know of this. I know of the Anunnaki and I feel like this is teasing in. It's tying into what my homework might, might be at the end. Yes. <laughs> my, my, my lecture will be at the end of this podcast. Yeah. Um, so the Anunnaki, uh, according to ancient aliens, are evil overlords who um, their name means children of the sky who came down to the earth and uh, took the ancient Neanderthal people and crossbred with them to make modern humans as an effort to, and I'm, I'm not even kidding about this one, in order to forge a slave race that they could use to mine gold. Okay, so that... <laughs> whole part was not covered in the talking dog cartoon that <laughs> I presume I'll be talking about later. Yeah. Um, that, and so it, looking at some of the ancient Mesopotamian uh, art and sculpture and things like that, they have pointed out that there is uh, flying vehicles depicted, that they have suits, that they wear wristwatches and have helmets and uh, wings like most aliens do, and that they came to Earth from a secret planet hiding in the exterior reaches of our solar system by the name of Nibiru. Yes, 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 yes. All of the, so much of the words that you're saying are so familiar to me. Yeah. And that the Mesopotamian sun disk that shows up in a mm -hmm. whole bunch of their mythology is actually a depiction of a spaceship. Mm. This is one of them classic goof em ups. We've done, we've done a few episodes of, well, it, there's some, there's some, there's some sad stuff, but like we've done a few like the last two, uh, except for the interview we did recently, the last two were like really sad to the point where we had to put charities at the end because they were linked to yeah. like really rough stuff that's going on. But this one, uh -huh. um, despite having this one only has a little bit of Nazis, only a little bit, though. OK, you know what? I think based on our track record, that's not too bad. Yeah. So... I guess we can talk about the Anunnaki and ancient Babylon and Mesopotamia and all that kind of fun stuff. Well, don't sound so, so excited about it. I <laughs> guess we can talk about it. Yeah, I'm interested. Hit me with it. Tell me all about these these folks. Well, um, for those who don't know, uh, Mesopotamia tends to get the nickname of being the cradle of civilization just because um, in the past we've talked about Egypt being fantastically old. Well, Mesopotamia is fantastically older. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is, to the point where Mesopotamians might be some of the first humans who decided to like start building farms and sit, start cities and stuff like that. Like that's how far back we're going. Wow, the originals. I like it. Yeah, and and so you've probably heard of these people in various different iterations. Mesopotamians, Babylonians, Sumerians, Assyrians, uh, a lot of them all have, um, they all, you know, trace themselves to the same region, which means Mesopotamia, which means the land between two rivers, the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. If you, you know, if you have common core geography, uh, this is roughly modern day Iraq. Okay, good. So, but, you, but you're saying a whole, a whole mess of people came from Mesopotamia. Yeah. It's like the birthplace of uh, like Middle Eastern civilization, basically. Cool. So you do see the Anunnaki as a group of deities that show up in ancient Sumer, uh, show up amongst the ancient Akkadians, Akkadians, sorry, Akkadians are French people who live in New Brunswick. Um, 
very different, extremely different people we're talking about. Uh, Akkadians, Assyrians, and Babylonians. The first writings about them come from ancient Sumer, which is in the uh, post-Akkadian period, and that the Anunnaki are considered a pantheon of gods that sort of represent the fates of humanity. So in the religious worldview of the people of this time, they believed that there were two major gods, An and Ki. One was the god of the heavens, the sky god, basically, and mm-hmm. one was the goddess of the earth. And that their two, ch- their children, a group, were called the Anunnaki, which roughly translate to princely seed or princely blood. So when they say sky people, they mean like they took liberties with the word like high, meaning like princely or kingly. Oh, <laughs> I see. I see. Language is fun. Language is fun. And the Anunnaki being this like council of gods who are on earth and are children of of like the primary creator gods basically exist to you know take care of the humans Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the name Anunnaki makes reference to that they were directly created by Anu. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that their name reflects that idea. Sure. The earliest known term uh, for the use of Anunnaki comes from inscriptions written during the reign of the Gudea, not a Mesopotamian expert. So I'm just kind of throwing in a lot of words and names of locations okay. and leaders and stuff like that that I only have partial knowledge of because I really like stuck to the stuck to the gods thing. Yeah, just we're talking about we're talking about the good dia, not the bad dia, the good one, <laughs> not the bad one. See, this is why we keep you around. You the wordplay. Yay. <laughs> and in Sumerian texts, the Anunnaki often are described in uh, very vague terms to the point where I'm going to mention a few different mentions of them. And they never really truly define how many they are, uh, how many mm. there are, or what their functions are in specific terms. We have one text from the city of Eridu, which mentions that there might be as many as 50 Anunnaki just associated with that city. Oh, wow. There might be more other places. Well, back then, a lot of like gods would be associated with particular cities. That was sort of like part of how their their religious worldview worked. Yeah, they got a hometown. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In a story called Inanna's Descent into the Netherworld, there are depicted there seven Anunnaki and they live in the underworld and act as sort of judges of the dead. Yet in the Akkadian text, and this is where I get to say fun words like the second millennium B.C., Ooh. Which means that we're talking about like 4,000-ish years ago. <laughs> Quite a while. Yeah. And so some Akkadian texts show similar portrayals of the Anunnaki as from the Descent to the Underworld as being what are called, and this is another fun word I got to learn today, chthonic uh, deities, which are deities that are associated with the Underworld. Now, I know that word because I play the game Hades a lot. Ah. And and I don't is that is it pronounced with the ch? Because I they I don't know if they say it too much, but I've been saying it chthonic. You like know what? The ch is a k. I will say chthonic and chthonic interchangeably, so that you cool. can f- you could correct me either way. Uh, commenters. Yeah, yeah. The, the thing that podcasts definitely have, which are comment sections. I guess like reviews. Reviews are like yeah. comments for a podcast. If you know the correct way to pronounce it, tweet at us. Probs not aliens on Twitter. How's that? We got some engagement. There you go. Thank you for all your sweet, sweet engagement. So we see in the old Babylonian period what would become the Anunnaki first showing up as a group, a set of deities known as the Ajiji. And then given the name Anunnaki during the mid-Babylonian period. By the way, they're called the Ajiji. And this is a time I'm just I just really want to get the scale of years here. 
1830 BCE, so that is very close to 4,000 years ago. Yes. In about three and a half thousand years ago, they start being called the Anunnaki, and they become associated with heavenly deities. Or sorry, they become they start becoming associated with the underworld, and the Ajiji start being referred to as heavenly deities. Oh, so there's almost like a... It's almost like they split off into two different groups. Or yeah, the, the, the names... The names for different groups of deities change over the centuries uh, as mythology evolves and everything like that. The most common and probably most well-known reference to the Anunnaki that you and I and you, anybody who's gone to like, you know, a regular Western school might know is through something called the Epic of Gilgamesh, which comes from ancient Akkad. Tristan, you know for a fact that that is not the place that I know the Anunnaki from. Yes, but you might be familiar with the Epic of Gilgamesh. Uh, yes, okay. I did see The Eternals recently, and Gilgamesh was a character in it. So. Oh, well, there you go. Um, there you go. And people who are familiar with the Star Trek episode, uh, Darmok might know of Captain Picard teaching the aliens about the story of Gilgamesh. Yes. Because they communicate in stories. Yeah. Don't that, we all? Don't we all, yeah. though? Because that that aspect of it is probably why it's the only Star Trek episode that I have seen played in school, because they use it to talk about the Epic of Gilgamesh. That's amazing. More Star Trek should be played in school, I this think. This is true. So there's a character in the Epic of Gilgamesh named, and I apologize for all of my ancient Babylonian listeners here, uh, Utnapishtim, who is an immortal survivor of the Great Flood. And he describes the Anunnaki as the seven judges of the underworld who will set the land aflame as the storm approaches. And if you also know how to pronounce that name, you can tweet at us at the same place. <laughs> We're going to outsource our pronunciation guides. Yes. So so that's like the this that's basically like most of the cultural depictions of the Anunnaki that we know. So we have. Uh, something between a term for the gods that are sort of intermediaries between the creator gods and, you know, humanity. We've got them being kind of lords of the underworld or just a, a council of gods associated with cities. They have all sorts of various yeah. uh, uses in probably branching and different ways over the centuries. Yeah, it's it's like taking a whole bunch of recognizable figures and and uh, and, and they sort of change over over time, depending on what the what the story is. I'm I'm like I know that this is like an actual, you know, mythology, but my brain always goes to like comic books <laughs> and things of just like, yeah, this is like how in the comics, you know, this character is this way. But in the movies, this character is this other way, you know, that, that that's what it sort of feels like to me a little bit. Well, I will mention because this comes up in every introductory graphic novel class you take in university, but the Epic of Gilgamesh is often referred to as the first superhero story because it's largely a story about a man who's trying to achieve immortality and doing a bunch of cool things in order to do it rad i love it and then they made him an actual superhero in marvel comics there you go it all ties back to marvel comics marvel had it all done they had it so the depictions of these ancient gods in Mesopotamia, deities tend to be shown as anthropomorphic, that have extraordinary powers and are very big. That's the way that they, they picture them. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, they're seen as wearing a horned cap with up to seven pairs of ox horns embedded on them. That seems a bit excessive. 
but who I mean, four or five pairs. I get it. Seven. It's a bit much. That's all I'm saying. I'm just like, I'm no fashion expert, but like, gosh, putting putting ancient Babylon on blast. <laughs> and yeah, they're often depicted as wearing uh, very elaborate clothing with gold and silver ornaments sewn into them mm-hmm. and that they believed that their deities lived uh, sort of a semi-existence between earth and the heavens. And oftentimes, and this is where the term comes from, how they were like sky people. This is kind of going back to our episode on the uh, Zuni mythology about how they take like an idea of like, oh, these people live in the heavens and then be like, oh, they live in space. Space. Yeah, but like some of the major deities in Sumerian mythology specifically were associated with like specific areas of the sky, like Inanna believed to be the planet Venus, Utu, the sun, Nana, the moon, and An, the father of the Anunnaki, identified with all the stars in the equatorial sky. So Ooh. every god, like like gods actually have like associations with the stars and planets and stuff yeah. like that. It, it, it's a common thing that shows up in a lot of mythology where they refer to the heavens and to the stars as the source of the places where the gods live, which is prime fuel for the ancient alien people to be like there you go they're from space case closed they where did these beings come from upwards in some capacity i bet that means space and other planets for real like i i want to say that like sometimes these things are more sophisticated but sometimes it's just like the writing is that these people come from up from the heavens and interpret <laughs> it as space do, do you think and this is me just fully picking on ancient astronaut theorists but do you think that if they experienced rain for the first time and it was coming from the sky that they were like what are these strange alien particles falling from from, they must be sky sky water sky water which means alien juice gosh Oof, that, that was that was a tough one, bud. Um, Look, I, we can edit all of this out. No, 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 no. I refuse. You have to you have to own that one. All right. Uh, they also, though, believed that places and things could specifically belong to the gods themselves. Like to them, the temple to various gods was the literal place where they lived. Mm-hmm. And a statue of a god would be a literal embodiment of the god itself. Now, keep in mind, uh, we've talked about this in other episodes on polytheistic religions, where they have like groups that worship one specific god out of a pantheon of gods are called a cult. And so oftentimes cults surrounding these different deities would have their own own like kind of like almost a sub-religion within the major faith. So cults that say surrounded one of these deities statues would actually like treat it like it was an actual god. They would take care of the statue. They would have uh, priests that were specifically there to make sure that the statue was taken care of. They would put clothes on the statue, take it to feasts so that it could eat. Oh, you gotta. Mm -hmm. Gotta do that. They would deck them out with all sorts of fun toys. Like they'd have boats. They would have... um, uh, chariots and they would be traveled along waterways during different festivals with their chariots and their boats. That has to look cool. <laughs> that has to look so fun when that's happening. Yeah, it is I'm just fun. imagining a big giant statue being taken on a little ferry ride. That sounds yeah. fun. There's even reports that they would sometimes take the deity's statue to the location of a battle so that the deity could watch them fight. Oh, that's actually kind of cool. Yeah. So the Anunnaki don't typically show up in these places. Like these temples don't make mentions of the Anunnaki. There's no Anunnaki cult. There's no Anunnaki 
uh, religious organization, which is really strange because the Anunnaki really seem to only show up in literature. They could almost be considered fictional characters as part of their mythology. So they're always considered like kind of distant. They don't have their own temples or anything like that. Yeah. Or it's because Anunnaki is a reference to a group of gods. And so that each individual member of the Anunnaki have their own temples with their own cults. This gets kind of murky because, as I mentioned, Mm -hmm. who is a member of the Anunnaki and what exactly is and how many there are and where they live is very murky and changes over the literal millennia that this was a thing. Yeah, it's like one of those uh, one of those like pop star bands, one of those like boy bands. It's got cycling members or whatever. What's that K-pop one? It's not a boy band, but, you know, it's got like 50 members or something like that. I don't know, but that's what it reminds me of, where it's just like people cycle in and out of this group. That's the Anunnaki. They're K-pop stars. Pretty much. So if you think of Anunnaki as being a uh, assembly of the gods, um, like, for example, a lot of these cities had a sort of semi-democratic system. Mm -hmm. And they believed that in the heavens, that there was a sort of council of the gods as well, and that the Anunnaki were part of that. So they were part of the pantheon, but they seemed to be a little bit detached from daily life. Okay. Uh, So that's like the most on like the Anunnaki specifically and their like role within Mesopotamian myth. The other thing that's important to mention though, is that the solar disk that they say is a spaceship is, it's the the sun. Um, It's very much the sun. (laughs) These discs- are we how sure are we that it's the sun well uh these discs show up a lot in sumerian culture and Uh they are used often to represent the sun or the sun god because there's a lot of farming and fertility and that kind of like stuff associated with their uh iconography and their statuaries and stuff like that and i don't know if you've grown plants but uh the sun plays a reasonably large role in the growing of crops yeah i'm holding up a little branch from a plant that we have on our table sun is important for plants i've heard photosynthesis and such Mm -hmm. and also sometimes and this is how they describe in ancient aliens that the uh sun disc had wings to imply that it was a spaceship because spaceships have wings Mm. i guess spaceships need wings Tristan, that's the one thing I know about spaceships is there's so much air out there in space that they need to have wings to fly around. But the thing is, the ancient Sumerians uh, drew the sun as having wings because it flies across the sky. Mm. There's really like so like there's really like a noth- nothing that I can think of of these depictions of the sun disk that really implies anything except that it's it's the sun like. Like, like it could be a UFO, but um, we would need literally anything that would indicate that it is that yeah. and not the sun. Give me something. Give me literally anything that tells me it's not the sun. Mm-hmm. I did just want to go back on my own joke a little bit. Like we do build spacecraft that has wings, right? We do that. That's a yeah, thing. Yeah, I guess that we the, do. Uh, the space shuttle had wings. Yeah, yeah. I guess it has to if they want stuff to because there's air where it might land, and so I guess that makes sense. All right, you got me, ancient astronaut theorists. Put t- stop typing your comments. I I already acknowledged it. And so the sun and here's a here's another example of how the sun disk may be the sun. Um, There's a scene in the Epic of Gilgamesh where Gilgamesh worships Shamash, the sun god, in order to get his favor for part of his journey. And he does so by facing east in the morning, otherwise known as the direction the sun comes up. (laughs) Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Interesting, unless you live on the planet that spins around in front of Universal Studios. 
because uh, that planet spins the opposite way around for reasons that I don't know. Did you know that? No, uh, I haven't done the Universal Studios tour. The big globe that they have in front, it's its always, it's spinning in the opposite direction. I don't know if that's on purpose. Like, it's gotta be. Unless someone made a mistake once and they're like, look, its we can't fix it now. They set it up for the Superman movie in the 1970s and they couldn't figure out how to make it go the other way again. <laughs> they couldn't figure it out. They're just like, I don't know. We'll let the night guy get it. And then the night guy never showed up. Christopher Reeve broke it. But the, and then there's another thing that shows up in ancient aliens that there is references to the Anunnaki coming out of the solar disks and are pictured riding them. And as far as I can tell, that is, um, and it's odd because I don't know if we've come across many of these because they're usually very cle- clever in circling around this, but it's, um, it's a lie. It's, they, they huh. refer to a thing that's, that's just flat out not real. Interesting. Normally we don't use such harsh language around here, but, uh, yeah, call it out for what it is. Yeah. So that's like... That's the that's the majority of the archaeology lesson about the Anunnaki and Mesopotamian gods and sort of the role they played in society and why all of these icons and such like that might just be uh, terms for different gods in their society, but nothing really to imply aliens. Yeah, it, like really like nothing. It's very much just like <laughs> we just have these like artifacts of a long dead civilization and we're kind of just going from there. So when I came across that and I looked up all these things, and I'm like, oh, okay. So there's like nothing like really strong. Like sometimes there's like a mystery or something that like we oh, don't you're know. Using, that usually you're, mm, you're using words like mystery and I'm going to jump the gun early on this episode, Tristan. <laughs> sometimes there's like a, mis- a, a mystery machine of some kind that, uh, that really like. <laughs> so, um, but what, what it turns out. So I'm like, where does this come from? Where does the actual like idea that the Anunnaki are space aliens that have come to enslave humanity come from? And oh boy, do we get to go on a little journey through some really interesting authors and uh, conspiracy theorists and stuff that really just runs the gamut. Take me through it. Take me through some some Laugh Olympics. Sure. So Ancient Aliens' main uh, source, again, is Chariots of the Gods by Eric Von Däniken. Love it. Know it. It's my favorite book. Mm -hmm. And in his book, he refers to the whole thing about the Anunnaki being aliens, uh, making references to different interpretations of Sumerian texts and the Old Testament of the Bible. Mm -hmm. But his real source... Uh-oh. Well, not his real source. This came out a bit later. But the primary source that the TV show uses gotcha. is a 1976 book called The Twelfth Planet. Okay. And this book, from what I can pick, so like Eric Von Daniken only kind of like, oh, look, this might be aliens, then moving on. Mm-hmm. But uh, this book, The Twelfth Planet, is where a lot of the real Anunnaki mythology really comes from. So it's by a Russian-American author by the name of Zechariah Sitchin. And And his book, this book, which came out in 1976, claims that the Anunnaki were actually an advanced humanoid extraterrestrial species from the undiscovered planet Nibiru, who came to Earth 500,000 years ago and constructed a base of operations in order to mine gold after discovering the planet was rich in precious metal. Mm, Interesting. So gold is even valuable to aliens. 
Yes, I mean, it kind of dissuades the fact that if you really wanted gold and you didn't want to, say, pull it out of the uh, gravity well of the of a planet, there's plenty of it in, like, the asteroid belt that's much easier to get to if you're a spacefaring <laughs> civilization. But, uh, okay, sure. Yeah, you want to, like, what's it called? We found asteroids I that want have... to work for it. I want to work for the gold. Give me a challenge. <laughs> Give me the gold. Um, yeah, because, like, there are asteroids. We found asteroids in our solar system that have, like, platinum deposits that would um, basically be equivalent to like 70 years of platinum production on Earth. Like, I don't have, want platinum. I don't want it. I want gold and I want human gold yeah. specifically, <laughs> the most valuable gold of all. <laughs> all I'm saying is that if you really want precious metals, there's a lot out there. Mm-hmm. So they came to Earth looking for minerals, namely gold, and they began looking in Africa, which makes sense. The African continent does have a lot of gold in it. Uh, but they did not like, like they, they started to get the Anunnaki themselves, these lizard people. Uh, they're depicted as lizard people. Typically also in the writings of the ancient Mesopotamians, they're also depicted as kind of like lizard, like reptile human hybrid things. Sure. Uh, but when the Anunnaki miners were, did not like the working conditions, and I'm guessing like they threatened to go on strike or whatever, the Anunnaki then decided to hire scabs and by scabs mean that they took uh, Homo erectus, so the Neanderthals, and hybridized them with Anunnaki genes and engineered them to create a slave race to replace the miners, otherwise known as cre- the creation of Homo sapiens or humans. We did it. We're here. And now look at us. Now who has all the gold? Huh, aliens? I mean, not me. I don't have any. I, I had no interest in, I gotta tell you, I don't have any gold. So uh, this was, of course, done in the 1970s, which was, as we know, long before things like the um, Human Genome Project, where we have mapped out all of our genes and we have a reasonably good idea of where most of them come from. Um, uh-huh. If they did have human, if there is alien DNA mixed with the humans, um, there's not a lot because we're like 99% similar to like orangutans and chimpanzees and uh, bonobos, I think, are our closest cousins. Now, I recall in episode one of this podcast, I think, maybe episode two, you had talked about how mitochondria has its own sort of uh, DNA or something about it. This is true, yes. Could that be Anunnaki parts inside of us? Now, I think I've already referred to this, but uh, well, there there is a non-zero amount of conspiracy theorists who think that mitochondria might be alien life. Uh-huh. Um, the more conventional answer is that early proto-life as we know it now uh, sort of co-evolved with mitochondria, which I guess were at some point kind of like a little prototype of life in and of itself. And then at some point, one ate the other and then realized, hey, if I stay in this bubble and reproduce with it, then, uh, you know, I make them a whole lot of energy and they protect me from outside things. Mm -hmm, And so mm -hmm. that's how like we became a symbiotic thing. And now they're just kind of part of ourselves. Um, Have we done an experiment to see how much mitochondria like gold? Because that could be a big clue. That is true. If you think about it. No one's done the science where we just dangle a gold bar in front of some (laughs) mitochondria to see what they do. Imagine the scene from the thing where they're like testing the blood <laughs> to see which one's the alien, but you just stick a gold bar in into like a, a vial of blood. Like what's happening? Do they like it? I'm not sure. There's some, there is something very special about the idea that like Austin powers three, like that the 
aliens come here and the one thing they really want is gold or something so like <laughs> base about that that's just really funny it's so silly it's so silly why that specific it's, well it's because the people who made this stuff up s- s- sorry i'm gonna say it they made this up just totally we're thinking from a human-centered idea of like well we think gold is valuable i mean it's useful in electronics maybe they were making you know high quality electronics or something oh, they are aliens mm-hmm. so sitchin claimed that they created the human race to mine gold that's our purpose mm-hmm. but that at one point they were forced to temporarily leave the earth and when they were in er- orbit of the earth the uh antarctic glaciers decided to all spontaneously melt and that caused the great flood which we know happened is a fact the great flood as in like noah's ark and everything like that of course i've heard of it that flood that flooded the whole world destroyed all of the anunnaki's bases and that's why there's no like you know references to ancient high powered space bases on earth Hmm. So here you go. We they solved it, and of course, also you know, just kind of building on the whole ancient aliens mythos that the Anunnaki also, of course, built the pyramids and every other monument that ancient aliens people like to glom onto. It was all the Anunnaki uh, because it's impossible, of course, to build things with uh, without high technology. I mean, we've been over this so many times on this show. Yeah, yeah. If it's if it's cool and it's built by people who are darker than a glass of milk, then it's probably aliens. Yeah, that's... You know what I mean? Essentially, yes. This wasn't the only book written uh, by this guy on the Anunnaki. He wrote a book called uh, The Stairway to Heaven and the war, uh, the Wars of Gods and Men, kind of building out his greater Anunnaki mythos, including one that I think if anybody was in conspiracy internet uh, around nine years ago, may remember this one, which was that he wrote that the Anunnaki were going to return from the planet Nibiru and we were going to have another confrontation with them as soon as the year 2012 Ooh, because that corresponds with uh, essentially the resetting of the Mayan Bactoon cycle. Now, the Bactoon cycle is okay. uh, I guess we'll have to think about it this way. Uh, the Mayan calendar works in sort of concentric ranks. Think of like a clock. You know, you have like uh, seconds, minutes, hours. Sure. So uh, Maya and also like uh, Aztec calendars work this way as well, where they had various rings that sort of acted in that same kind of cyclical fashion. So mm-hmm. they would go around and they would like reset and then the bigger one would, would move forward one, et cetera, et cetera. The Bactoon cycle is basically what, what happened in 2012 as everyone as anybody if you're if you're old enough to remember 2012 wow that's a weird thing to say um <laughs> but if you're old enough to remember all of the hype around 2012 what essentially happened was the Bactoon cycle reset so it was the maya version of midnight on january 1st but like the Bactoon cycle cycle is like several thousand years long so it was like a big deal it was like hitting the big zero 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 oh, zero yeah thing. Was it, would it be akin to like Y2K sort of thing? Essentially. Of, of clocks hitting a weird point where it's like, oh, something might happen. Yeah. Well, the thing is that the Mayan people, as well as like uh, common in Mesoamerica, has this idea that the earth is kind of always at the brink of apocalypse. And that uh, that they basically have to do all sorts of things to keep the world from falling apart. So mm-hmm. it wouldn't be like outside of reason to have them think that when the world hit this sort of backtune cycle, that there would be some sort of apocalypse because apocalypse and like the end of the world shows up a lot in Mesoamerican mm-hmm. spirituality. 
And as people who lived through 2012, you and me, uh, they yeah. got that one right. They nailed it. We're I mean, it. This, this podcast is, does not exist. The world has really not been the same since 2012. So it would make yeah. sense. So yeah, anyway. That, yeah. Um, to not surprise, I'm sure this doesn't surprise you that the, these books have been uh, what I've found as a quote universally rejected by mainstream historians. Uh, the book's been labeled as pseudo archaeology. Uh, Sitchin has been uh, people have written that Sitchin has quote deliberately misrepresented Sumerian texts by quoting them out of contexts truncating mm. quotations and mistranslating words to give them radically different meanings from their accepted definitions. Yeah, you know how much I love context. When you get it out of there, I can't respect you. I'm sorry. This sounds exactly <laughs> like pretty much everything we talk about on this show, about taking anything, ripping it from its context, and just making it up, making things fit whatever you want it to uh, to be. If you want it to be aliens because you think that's cool or interesting or fits whatever world belief that you have, then taking these texts and stories and anything and framing them deliberately incorrectly to to feed that point of view is just it's you can't do that. That's <laughs> not OK. <laughs> Yeah, and all of the studies into Zechariah Sitchin, who does claim to be an expert on Sumeria, um, don't seem to pan out. It seems that he has no actual education in the form of Semitic studies, and uh, a lot of his misinterpretations would be very uh, on brand for somebody who is not trained in Sumerian trying to draw interpretations from it because it seems that he lacked understanding of basic grammar and vocabulary rules from Sumerian. <laughs> this is like a greatest hits episode of, of how they get you. That yeah. Of, of how ancient aliens gets things wrong is they'll bring in someone who's not an expert in the field that they're claiming to be. And it's so easy to be like, yeah, they got all this wrong because they're not an expert. Like, according to people who are experts in these fields, like, yeah, no, this is this is laughable how much he got yeah. wrong. Taking the word off of somebody who seems to have issue grasping the basic grammar of the language he's translating is quite a lot. But that's where, like, mistranslations come out, like Sky Children, where you yeah. know, uh, Heavenly Seed becomes Sky Children. Mm-hmm. That'll happen. And uh, all research into his educational background find nothing more than a journalism degree. So uh, the conclusion that I found is that a lot of Sumerian scholars don't like Sitchin, not because he they're closed minded, but because he really mm. doesn't seem to know what he's talking about, <laughs> which would be a pretty reasonable reason not to be such a fan of this person. If if you are studying, if you're, you know, a scholar of this field and someone else comes along getting more attention than you spreading all sorts of untruths, then yeah, that could, that could be really annoying. Mm -hmm. I, I do like the idea though, that for sure, ancient astronaut theorists are, use that exact terminology you did of just like, I don't know, mainstream scholars are just so close-minded to his radical ideas. It's like, well, yeah. maybe if he had more evidence on his side. So I'm going to say two facts now, now that we have kind of just talked about who this oh, guy is. Finally. Uh, Zechariah Sitchin. Uh, you've, been, you've not laid a single fact this whole episode. Finally, give me at least two of them. This will make you sad. Uh -oh. uh, so one, 
uh, Zechariah Sitchin died in 2010, uh, two years before his predicted uh, Star War with um, with the aliens. Uh, for all he knows, we made it. But uh, he still has a active following of people who buy into this theory. And there are still like active Facebook groups of people who believe in these uh, beliefs and the whole Anunnaki, Nibiru, Planet 12X, like all that kind of thing is very, if, you, if you're familiar with the UFO conspiracy part of online communities, but just kind of like UFO alien conspiracy theory um, spaces, you mm-hmm. know about these people, you know about the Anunnaki, you know about this. This is sometimes they're referred to as reptilians, uh, but this is where that, this is the source of all of that. Do you think Sitchin's followers made a statue out of him that they take to feasts and drive around on boats because i think that would be fun that <laughs> would be um be very fitting yeah but i think if anybody knows about these uh anunnaki conspiracy theories they probably don't think of zachariah sitchin some do but not everyone the name you're probably more familiar with is david ike now, mm. have, have you ever heard the name David Icke before? You know, I can't tell if it's ringing a bell because I do know it or if it's ringing a bell because it's two very somewhat common names thrown together into one human name. Okay. Well, I want to do a whole episode on David Icke. I have had a perverse obsession with this man for a long time now. <laughs> oh, um, then we have to do an episode. Yeah. David Icke was, and I'm very sorry to the British people, David Icke was a television soccer uh, like journalist mm-hmm. uh, until one day on the air, he said that he was the son of God and was basically the Messiah. And um, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. 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 Um, that is a lot to take in all at once. Yeah. And then he has spent the last few decades since that incident not being on TV anymore. Um, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he moved to the Isle of Man, uh, which is sort of an uh-huh. island between uh, the UK and Ireland, sort of in that kind of water there. Gotcha. And he is a spiritual guru and writes a lot about a conspiracy theory that essentially the Anunnaki aren't gone. They're using advanced hologram technology to basically secretly run the world and that almost every major figure who is in control of things Mm -hmm. uh, is a reptile alien. Now, you might have heard, you might have seen like weird conspiracy videos where people are looking at like bad artifacting from like video, like really intense video compression and being like, look, there's the lizard eyes. That's this. That's where this comes from. (laughs) Okay. So we've gotten to the root of this thing. That, I didn't realize how interwoven all of this stuff is. I... That's one of those that strikes me as if you, those are the kinds of people who I feel like have fallen way far down the, the this rabbit hole. Cause like, I've, do you think that there's that like, you know, one thing leads to another in that regard of like believing in aliens might make you believe in ancient aliens. And then if ancient aliens gets you, it's only a matter of time before you're talking about lizard people. Very much so. Like, I don't think that everybody does it. But um, there was at least one study in in kind of conspiracy study things that I came across that said that like one of the best uh, indicators that you're going to believe 
believe any given conspiracy theory is if you believe other conspiracy theories. Because once you get into mm. conspiratorial thinking or once you get into sort of conspirator- conspiracy theory communities, there is sort of a radicalizing effect where, you know, you listen to conspiracy one and then someone's like, oh, like, like, I don't believe in the moon landing. Oh, you believe in the moon? And like, then like, you know, go into like <laughs> the moon is fake and uh, the you earth might is go flat. from that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, like there's yeah. like, there's just holes that you can kind of keep going down if this right. kind of thinking is, is really like your game. Um, so there's a couple things that we need to point out about David Icke's, uh, specific beliefs about reptiles running the world. That's a little bit more nefarious to kind of set up. David Icke isn't allowed in Canada and his books are not published here because it violates our constitutional ban on hate speech. Um, oh, that tells me a lot. Yes. About um, this person. Because David Icke has, he's he's a new ager. And this is another thing that a lot of people don't know about. There's a lot of crossover in like new age, spiritual, like this kind of esoteric um, sub subculture that we've kind of been talking about and Nazis. <laughs> um, oh boy. Yeah, and it's like when and people are surprised. And we're yeah, here, when, folks. Yeah. Tristan promised them earlier <laughs> and we're here. People are kind of surprised when like um, spiritualists, like, like a lot of like spiritual gurus in like the Instagram world have started to get into QAnon and stuff like that. It's because there is actually like a large overlap between these two communities that doesn't really get acknowledged all that much. But yeah, um, David Icke has some pretty far right views on history and has made the claim that the uh, the people who are descended directly from the Anunnaki are part of the Aryan master race. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's very convenient that for centuries, a very common uh, depiction, a very common group of people who have been depicted as reptiles who are secretly controlling the world are Jewish people. <laughs> Uh, and that a lot of the people that David Icke is very, very convinced are aliens happen to be politically powerful Jews. What a surprise. And this is why he's not allowed in Canada. <laughs> yep. Makes a lot of sense uh, that he's not allowed. I'm not saying anything he's saying is making sense. Absolutely no. Mm-hmm. He's written seven. He's been writing books since the 1990s. His evidence comes to like things like uh, finding out that words like dragon, Dracula, and draconian because they sound similar must have elements that mean that they're they're similar. Like uh, Dracula must be like uh, you know a story about aliens who are feeding on humans. And uh, didn't we talk about this in a epi- we like I I just recently we talked about this how words like dragon and dra- day dra- I, drogo or whatever i you know what i mean i feel like we talked to it's the episode where i laid out that delicious gem that words are thought fossils you remember that <laughs> yes um so that um well that so that is a, that is a kind of like hard-hitting evidence that david ike has gone with like these words are similar so i'm building a whole mythology about how the story of dracula is actually a story about a reptile alien and like mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff so that's that, that's david ike i de- like i i think at some point we're gonna have to find a way to weave in um prominent ancient alien figures like their biography because i want to do an eric von daniken i think we need to do a Giorgio tsukalos episode because Absolutely. i need to find out what that guy 
guy's deal is. I um, I think we should we we should we should absolutely do that do that series. And uh, if you want, if you're interested, hey, let us know. Again, probably yeah. aliens on Twitter. Uh, there's a chance we we might just do it anyway, even if you're not interested. Because <laughs> I'm interested. I desperately want a little little biography episode about these these major characters. And I am honestly surprised that we have gotten this far without mentioning David Icke, because David Icke is like the is like a huge figure in like the ancient astronaut theorists of today. And um, he also is one of the bigger like ways that we can talk about the connection between like ancient astronaut theorists and this kind of like esoteric pseudo archaeology and Nazi stuff, because I think we've talked about this in previous episodes, but like the Nazis themselves based a lot of their beliefs on a lot of like pseudo archaeological stuff. Like the Aryan race thing was based on a bad piece of archaeology. And a lot of the work that the Nazis did was to sort of rewrite European history with this idea of like a Teutonic bloodline that the Germans belong to and like trying to build this false myth about what the the origin of Europeans essentially. And after World War II, a lot of Nazis ended up branching off into these very wild esoteric spaces and their racial ideas still carried with them. But uh, they kind of became a lot of writers that they then a lot of very um, silly, not paying attention to the details, sort of baby boomers who were getting into all of these new religious movements started adopting their ideas. And mm-hmm. um, and that's a troublesome connotation. And even to this day, people who are really invested in like the spiritualist movement and all these kinds of things, you find out every so often that like, oh, oh, cool. This person who like talks about your chakras and crystals on Instagram is into QAnon now. Okay. And I will say a lot of the people who believe in the reptile aliens are very convinced that Donald Trump was going to be the guy who was going to root them all out. There is definitely alien QAnon. So, um, yeah, yes, this is that, that, that's, um, that, that, that's David Icke. (laughs) (laughs) In a Uh, nutshell. I mean, like you said, we'll, we'll, we might do a full episode, uh, about this, this absolute fool, uh, (laughs) But I, I, I mean, that's a good little little teaser, little taste yeah. test right now of of the gross, the grossest, most vile <laughs> taste test I've ever experienced. Yeah. Um. So going to ancient aliens, a lot of the the stuff they depict, they depict like uh when they say they uh they're depicting the Anunnaki, they show these uh Akkadian winged genies. But well, that's what they are. They are genies. Uh. But they then say that those are Anunnaki. They're like you know people lions with like like uh. Uh, wings and they make claims that they're wearing like uh all sorts of like technology but these aren't the anunnaki they're not even sumerian uh they claim they're sumerian in ancient aliens they are a akkadian um Mm -hmm. and the thing is is that like these are like genies are in uh mesopotamian mythology thought to be basically representations of different aspects of nature And a lot of these statues, because I mentioned that this is a very agriculturally focused faith, that they believe that they were responsible for the fertility of crops. So if you look at the statues that are shown in ancient aliens, they are holding buckets of pollen or water in one hand and a group of male flowers or a pine cone in the other, i.e. representing like, you know, uh, fertility and often depicted as fertilizing a date tree, which was a common fertility symbol in this region. Hmm. And they'd often be depicted as pointing at the king because uh, they, like many other religions in this area, believe that the king was sort of the 
intermediary between the gods and people. And so that the gods or that the king sort of worked with the gods to ensure the fertility of the land so that you could keep growing crops. Yeah, eat. makes sense to me. She also mentioned important because I'm a fan. Uh, this is also these are also the people who invented beer. So, um, oh, if awesome. you want someone to thank for beer, it's these people because they found out that you can drink bread, and then they're like, "Okay, I want to drink bread." <laughs> that sounds way cooler than eating it. In an earlier podcast episode, I talked about how I don't like the taste of alcohol that much. And I'm like trying to get to find stuff that I like. And this year I finally found a type of beer that I liked. So nice. What is it? We need to we're know. getting there. I I like a good amber ale, apparently. Nice. Well done. Yes. As a as a beer connoisseur, I always like when somebody finds a thing they like. Yay. Excellent stuff. Um, let's get to the wristwatch. The, one of the claims that they show is that there's these uh, circular things on the wrists of these genies and that this is obviously a wristwatch. High technology. Um, <laughs> and I love, I love this one quote that somebody had about this, which is like, take note that if this is a watch, those genies were very serious about timekeeping because they have one on both wrists as well as a headband. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, they're just like, hold, what time is it? Hold on, let me double check. Okay, cool. One more time. <laughs> yeah. Um, what the watch is, is an Akkadian symbol for the goddess Ishtar, which is a goddess of fertility, which kind of jives with the rest of the stuff we've been talking about here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is a Ishtar gate in the city of Babylon that has that exact same symbol on the kind of gate into the city. Mm. So because birds and bees pollinate plants, that's where the birds and the bees comes from. Um, I literally genuinely never put that together until you just said it right now. I'm learning a lot today. (laughs) I taught you the birds and the bees. There we go. Uh, (laughs) We can say definitively Tristan Johnson taught me the birds and the bees. So birds have wings. So probably a lot of the depiction of this like fertility genie having wings also makes sense. Mm. So they are like a lot of the iconography on these statues uh, doesn't show aliens as much as it shows a lot of symbols of fertility for a region that relies heavily on agriculture in a uh, fairly deserty area. Sounds important. But ancient aliens, Uh-oh. and this is the part where everything gets all like, this is where like, you know, you're not like that many steps away from like esoteric Nazi stuff because in ancient aliens, they mention in the show that the Anunnaki came to earth to get the gold. <laughs> they need that gold. They need that sweet earth gold. Yeah. And so they mention that as part of the Sumerian texts, but we know that the origin of this comes from Zechariah Sitchin. It has nothing yeah. to do with Sumerian text. Someone just made it up in the 70s. So that's all I have on uh, ancient aliens. But as I was Uh-oh. doing the research for the Anunnaki, I found out that the Anunnaki play a role in a certain TV show called Mystery Incorporated. They sure uh, do, Tristan. And you are, which is a show under the uh, Scooby-Doo franchise. Now, uh-huh. uh, if you haven't watched uh, Scott's wonderful YouTube channel, NerdSync, uh, quite a lot of videos you make are about this uh, group of teenagers where uh, yes. this group of four teenagers, two of which are uh-huh. cool and their dog. To which two do you think? I mean, I think the show could do without Freddie and Daphne. I think you could do without them. Ah, I disagree. Mystery Velma, <laughs> Velma and Shaggy pretty much make the show for me. I don't know what the other two incredible. just seem the tacked on. I look, Mystery Incorporated specifically is the best interpretation of Fred ever. 
because uh, he's obsessed with traps and he's always like traps are the most important thing to me, even more important than my girlfriend. And it's just there's a lot of fun humor and and drama that goes along with that. Weirdly. Yes. I'm a huge, 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 huge fan of Scooby-Doo, and I have just started talking about it on my channel, even though I've been a fan all my life. I, f I finally realized that I have an outlet. Why am I not using it to talk about Scooby-Doo? And in Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated, this is a two-season show that has, unlike other uh, Scooby-Doo series, this has an ongoing plot from basically from episode one all the way to the end. They still have like Creature of the Week solve mystery stuff, but there's always this through line of a big giant mystery throughout it did you want me to use the notes that you wrote for no, me no, or do you no. want me to I, just i want okay. you to just just i know it i know you know just go <laughs> okay so uh you know tristan let me let me tell you this do you know how you know how this is like, podcast <laughs> you know, you, <laughs> this is you've you've just so far listened to part one of this episode uh tristan you know how in the scooby-doo lore Scooby is a dog who can talk. You know, I've this, heard right? this. Yes. Well, kind of. <laughs> well, you know, you know that he is a dog that can talk like that's oh, just a thing about but it's like one of those things where he can talk, but people can't understand him. Kind of like the baby and no. family guy, like where it's like, can they, can you, can they understand the words he says? No, they can fully understand the words that he's saying okay. for sure. And uh, cause they'll repeat them to him sometimes. And, and I mean, over the years he's gotten more verbose he's talked more i think that's, that's just because they've changed the actors who play him and, and scooby-doo is always evolving but in scooby-doo mystery incorporated they try to explain oh, why no. why scooby-doo can talk and because it's not every animal some animals in the scooby-doo world can talk most cannot some dogs are just dogs but why can scooby talk well it turns out tristan and i'm doing all this from memory so I apologize oh if this is wrong. It turns out that Scooby-Doo is a descendant of interdimensional and interplanetary beings named the Anunnaki who came to Earth and <laughs> lacking, lacking a physical body needed to uh, take over creatures that didn't at the time have souls. So they couldn't take over humans, but they could take over animals. So canonically so, Scooby-Doo doesn't have a soul. <laughs> he, he does currently because he's, he's a descendant of the Anunnaki and that that's kind of, I guess his version, their version of a soul is if you're possessed by an Anunnaki, then so where that's do Scooby's snacks play in this? They don't. I don't know. They they are they're always Scooby snacks have like their own weird lore. Where like, did somebody invent them in the gang and they became popular? Were they already a snack that existed and they named the dog Scooby after the snack? Like if I bought if I had a dog and, and named it after the treat that they loved called Beggin Strips or something like that. This is my dog Beggin Strips. You know, like it could be something like that. Or is it all I a weed metaphor? Know. We don't know. Or or is it all a weed metaphor? But yes, the entire plot of this show revolves. It hinges around these interdimensional beings, the Anunnaki who come from Nibiru. And it's all about, I'm trying to remember it off the top of my head now, but it's such a weird plot. Basically throughout all generations, uh, ever since the times of like ancient, like Mesopotamia, what have you, 
I think it actually in the show starts with Egypt because of course it does. But starting starting then, uh, every generation of humanity has had a group of teenagers and a talking animal to solve mysteries. Oh my and it god! Is all, okay. It has all led up to Scooby Doo. <laughs> no. Yes. Oh my god! This is like this is a lot. It's a lot to take in, and they are all trying to solve this big interdimensional mystery, and it's very. Um, it's got very Lovecraftian elements to it. Big existential dread and horror. It's it's the raddest Scooby-Doo show, but only once you get to season two, because that's when all of that unravels. Season one is hit or miss. Once you get to that late, late stage Mystery Incorporated, that's when the oh, mwah, that's when the juiciest stuff is. It's so good. Now I'm seeing stuff about alternate timelines here. Yeah. OK, so what happens Okay, I will actually read your notes. Okay. <laughs> um, the Anunnaki possess Nova. So Nova is another dog in the show who's just a dog. But uh, because the Anunnaki can possess animals, uh, one Anunnaki came to possess Nova and told Scooby-Doo sort of all about this, this plot. Yeah, the time of Nibiru, how their race helped humanity over the years. Very ancient alien stuff. Aliens coming to help humanity. Well, now you know where it all whatever. comes from. It all comes from Scooby-Doo. Um, <laughs> no, I understand. But yes, Nova warns Scooby-Doo about this evil entity that's below Crystal Cove, which is like their home city. Uh, it's not Coolsville in this show. It's Crystal Cove. And uh, Scooby has to destroy it and this curse. The curse, I believe, is just the curse of either Crystal Cove always having all these horrible things happen to it or just the curse of all these the from generation to generation there's always you know you know mystery solvers and things and no one can quite do it um but so then this dog nova who apparently is a gigantic main player because <laughs> she just gives exposition i she's in like four episodes anyway uh reveals that uh, the entity manipulated the group of four humans and an animal to set him free and instructs them to find the heart of the jaguar this yes, is like this is like literally some call of cthulhu type stuff yes okay so they also have yeah they have the heart of the jaguar and they they need to use it to destroy the the evil entity it but it, it doesn't work and it's freed and it opens a portal from a sarcophagus that it has been trapped in since the time of like the very first mystery solvers and uh yeah a, a lot of stuff happens basically they win they save the day they defeat the evil entity and it totally resets time. Um, and it's kind of underwhelming because all of the character growth that we have is sort of undone. Only the gang remembers that the timeline got reset. They, they're the only ones that remember the original timeline and no one else in the town does. Uh, basically, all of the mysteries, all of the monsters and things are totally wiped out of the universe. So they're basically they they created a world of like no mysteries, basically. And uh, but then the show ends when they get a call to like, hey, I've got, you know, someone calls them and basically just says, I actually do have a mystery. And I, we're supposed to believe that all of this was a prequel series to the original Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? So this is like the stuff that was happening in their hometown that led them to be mystery solvers. And then they went on the road to go solve fake mysteries because all the real ones are gone because in this timeline, monsters aren't real. But that's when they solve all the fake mysteries of so dear listeners, Where Are You? 
Uh, I bet you weren't <laughs> expecting this. <laughs> um, was that interesting? And I know that if you are a Scooby-Doo fan, I, I, I've watched the show once like five years ago. It was very good, but I, it was so hard to retain much more specific details than that. So I'm sure I got some stuff wrong. But uh, that's that is where I know the Anunnaki from. So when Tristan told me we were doing an episode about the Anunnaki, my first thought was, oh, Tristan would be out of his mind if he thought I was not going to talk about <laughs> Scooby-Doo. But then when I found the Scooby-Doo connection, I uh, I put I made you a little section. Thank you. I pre- thank you for writing <laughs> notes. A lot of this stuff was stuff that I did forget. Um, but so to come back to the Anunnaki thing in general, um, like many of the stuff that we covered, a bunch of weird 70s, a, a 1970s new age writer with no training made some extreme leaps of logic and interpretation to build a mythology. And that mythology has now to this day taken a life of its own and has been largely absorbed into the sort of esoteric far right. So are you saying um, Scooby-Doo is a far right cartoon? No, but I imagine that they were they they know they like I mean, obviously they were inspired somewhat by um, sort of this yeah. mythology about the Anunnaki. But uh, to know that, you know, uh, this has been like if you hear people talking about reptilians, uh, just know that you're kind of waltzing into far right territory and that there's going to be a surprising amount of reptiles that are Jewish people. And so that's fun. Um, and, but yeah, uh, but Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo. <laughs> but Scooby-Doo. Thank, you. Thank you for indulging me in that. I think more episodes should end with me going on a big rant about scooby-doo all right yeah if i can find it if there's a, if there's a <laughs> scooby-doo connection there's got to be there's a, there's i know i know for there's a scooby-doo like animated movie about a ufo isn't there oh yeah alien invaders we see i mentioned it during when we talked about the um like area 51 roswell stuff too very briefly but oh okay well. oh well oh well oh well but that was this episode this week um that was you're welcome episode. or i'm sorry internet <laughs> <laughs> As soon as you handed the mic over to me, everyone was like, and we know why Scott does not talk too much on these episodes, because nothing that he has to say is actually educational. I mean, I learned something. Um, Well, there you go. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Like we've teased several times over this episode, please follow us on Twitter at ProbsNotAliens. A lot of you are over there and you leave us a lot of great feedback and we really do appreciate it. Uh, if you want to hear more of me ramble about Scooby-Doo related stuff, I have a YouTube channel called NerdSync, N-E-R-D-S-Y-N-C. And I do, I've got a whole playlist of Scooby-Doo stuff because no one has stopped me from talking about it yet. This segment actually is a pretty good, like, if you are curious about NerdSync, you, like, if you, if you like that section, you'll probably like NerdSync a lot. That was the most NerdSync part <laughs> of this show so far, I think. That was the most that Tristan has let me, has, has given me some slack in my leash. <laughs> Tristan, um, you also have a YouTube channel. What's that called? I've heard about it. It's called Step Back. I talk about uh, history and the past and how it connects to today. Um, I have no idea. This is probably coming out sometime in 2022. So I, depending on when it comes out, I might be on a maternity or paternity leave. But, uh, uh, you know, I'll be back in like March-ish. Yeah, you shouldn't really notice any interruption in these episodes being released. We are recording 
so far in advance. This is and true. Hope, hopefully it's hopefully it's paying off. Hey, if you like this show, please leave us good reviews. Oh, do you want to read more reviews? We actually have a ton this week. Yes, please. They make me so happy. Let's read some reviews. This review comes from nickname parentheses probably and parentheses is taken. See, I think they made this just to review our show, which is amazing. Uh, It says, warning, history of the ancient world through the lens of story and humor. Two extraterrestrials convince us they don't exist. (laughs) 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 I didn't read this before I started doing it. Oh, no. By by imbuing history with stories of ingenuity, intelligence, and illustrative tangents. If a podcast could be a comfort food, it'd probably be gastropod. But this is an awesome, ooey gooey (laughs) chocolate chip cookie fresh from the oven. Aww. I've never been referred to as comfort food before. That's nice. That's amazing. (laughs) We're still getting four star reviews. We're getting this one from uh, PTR lap says 100% perfect. Wouldn't change a thing. Four stars. (laughs) Nice. Uh, Let's see if there's any other good ones. Oh, this comes from um, Minor Vadon, who says Probs Not Aliens is greater than History Channel. Probs Not Aliens is what the History Channel would be in a better universe. Honestly, if Ancient Aliens were half as interesting as inf- and informative as this podcast, I might actually watch the show. I know you're asking for four stars, but you made it on Apple's list of best new history podcasts, and I'd like to see you on Aww. the top. We did do that. We we made it on. We were in the top, you know, I can't remember. 200 we or something the- like that. We were definitely in the top 200. I think we were in the top 50 of uh, of the best new new and noteworthy history podcasts, which I don't know if there's too much competition for that, but we made it there. And it's because of your ratings and reviews. And we'll read more of them on future episodes. We have a ton and I don't want to waste them all. We'll read like two every episode, two or three every episode. Sounds They're good. very fun. Thank you so much for doing that. Please continue to leave reviews. We really do appreciate it. And tell your friends. Tell your friends about this show. We have a very easy to remember website that we never really mention, but it's just probsnotaliens.com. It has links to where people can listen to it on every podcast platform, iTunes and Spotify and Google Podcasts and literally every place that our podcast is listed. We have a link. So whatever you listen to it on, you can find it or your friends can find it. Just share probsnotaliens.com. It's a really easy thing to do. And uh, on that website, we also have a uh, a Google form that you can fill out to suggest future topics. Maybe you do want us to talk about that person that Tristan was talking about earlier, whose name I already forgot, David Ike. David Ike. Maybe you do want us to talk about David Ike. If so, let us know via that form. That helps us know what kind of episodes you guys like to listen to. Yeah. And until that day comes, though... I'm Tristan. And I'm Scott. And the truth is out there. Probably. Probably.